This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm a board-certified emergency critical care veterinary specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about the controversies of when to spay and neuter. We'll be right back after these messages. Do you want a cat litter that absorbs odor-causing wetness like a parched desert cactus? Well, Arm & Hammer's got a litter for you. New Absorb X with Desert Dry Minerals. Wetness disappears like a Texas raindrop on a hot tin roof. Odor, adios. It's a lightweight, lightning-fast, odor-absorbing desert dry cat litter. Get $4 off now at armandhammer.com slash bounty. New Absorb X from Arm & Hammer. More power to you. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Really excited to have Dr. Kirk Bruninger, who's the Director of Strategic Planning at Banfield, join us today. Kirk, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So just so our audience knows who you are and a little bit about you, who are you? Where did you train? Where did you do your veterinary training? Give us a little bit of background. Certainly. So I, uh, I graduated from University of Pennsylvania School of Veterinary Medicine in 2010, I also went on to get additional training um, in public health and epidemiology, and I am board certified in the American College of Veterinary Preventive Medicine. And so what that all means is just fancy words that say um, I have a lot of background in research. Kirk and I go way back to our training at University of Pennsylvania. So really honored to have you on today. I know that you have written and lectured and spoken about the controversies of span neuter. And this actually first came out when a UC Davis study came out talking about golden retrievers and what age they were spayed and neutered and potentially with disease. If you don't mind giving us a little bit of history about when this information came out, what the controversy is and how we should interpret it. That'd be really helpful. Certainly. This is a topic that I think is very pertinent, especially for pet owners want to know, why can I get a simple answer around when we should spay or neuter our pets? And uh, and it really comes out because that study really shined a light on the fact that on how much we actually don't know around spaying and neutering and how much research we still have to do in that area. And I think it's really the gaps in knowledge that we have right now that contribute to the ongoing discussion. And so high level, we see a lot of conflicting information coming out of research. We see certain research studies being more popularized in the media compared to others. So you might see, you know, on the local news or something, they may have a uh, talk about an article that had been published and how there's detrimental effects to your pet at spaying at a certain age. And in actuality, the discussion is much bigger than that because medicine is much bigger than that. And so when we talk about 
how we're delivering care to, to our patients, to our pets, we need to have really personalized healthcare because every situation is different. And I think that's a lot of what we're getting out of a lot of the research that's coming out now. Even veterinarians are confused on this because we were always taught in veterinary school that we should stay ideally around six months, just because depending on the size of the dog or the cat, they're more likely to go into heat as they're younger and potentially a different size. And all of a sudden, all this information comes out and even the veterinary profession is still confused on this and still doesn't know how to accurately interpret the data. So give us some help. What are you finding with some of your research that you found in this area? Sure. So the research that I did was in 2015, I ended up doing a a study looking at all of the research we have available to us on what different health outcomes are linked with spaying and neutering. And by health outcomes, I'm referring to things like joint disease, so arthritis, for example, um, or hip dysplasia. I'm referring to behavioral issues like aggression or even uh, cancer as well. And so uh, some of the things that we have identified previously, I think we shouldn't overlook because I think there's certain diseases that are very controversial because we don't have the quality of evidence or enough evidence to point us in one direction or the other. But some of them we do have a lot of evidence on. And so one of those things would just be population control. So we know that spaying or neutering pets earlier decreases the risk of them getting pregnant and having unwanted litters. And so that is a benefit that we see uh, as a society. We have millions of homeless pets. This is one way that we can help limit the homeless pet population. Other things that we can see is that for females, we can see uh, problems in birth. So dystocia is the term we use for that. And if you spay your pet, we won't see a problem with dystocia. We won't see things like uterine infections. We won't see ovarian cancers or uterine cancers uh, because we actually remove both the ovaries and the uterus. And in males, we won't see testicular cancer. And we can also see prostate diseases in males, too, that it decreases the risk of having those prostate diseases, particularly in dogs. A couple of the things that we also have evidence for is that when we spay or neuter a pet, it actually decreases their metabolism a bit. So the number of calories that they need to eat per day tends to be less than the number of calories that in unaltered male or female would need. Uh, And so they're more at risk for becoming overweight if they are not fed the the appropriate calorie content. It's really hard because I did my internship at Angel Memorial Animal Hospital in Boston, and we did early spay-neuter. So these were kittens and puppies that were honestly only about 8 to 12 weeks of age that came into the shelter. And oftentimes we were spaying them or neutering them really early just to get them onto the shelter floor. And again, the main mission was to help minimize that risk of pet overpopulation. That's obviously a goal of most rescue organizations or shelters because they want to minimize that. And I know we're one of the countries that we typically do spay and neuter early. Uh, We don't always think about the long-term repercussions, whether or not that's urinary incontinence, but we always have offset that with the goal of minimizing pet overpopulation. In comparison to other countries like the European Union, they don't spay and neuter, but they oftentimes have really strict leash laws and less strays because they don't necessarily have animals running around that are intact. What are your thoughts on how we should balance that based off of some of your research? 
So I think there's a couple parts to the question you had just there. I think the first part is that there's definitely cultural differences between the United States and between Europe or other countries or other uh, areas in the world for that matter. And so when we look at research that's telling us about what are the health outcomes linked with spaying and neutering, we also have to take that cultural component into consideration. And you gave a great example of that where um, because of the leashing and prevention of straying of pets in Europe, we can have another alternative form for population control. Uh, that looks very different in the United States as far as what works and what would make the most sense from a cultural perspective. Now, the other part that you mentioned was around uh, spaying or neutering at a very young age. And so when we call that pediatric neutering. And so that would be um, particularly pets that are less than eight weeks of age. Um, some people define that a little differently, maybe upwards of less than 12 weeks of age. And does that put them at greater risk than pets that are neutered later in life, say six months or nine months of age. And in the research, we only have a few research studies that actually look at this. And the research has conflicting information and it doesn't have evidence that really supports that it puts them at greater risk. It also doesn't suggest that there are greater benefits from a pediatric neuter compared to neutering later on, say, even at five months of age. And that's just because it seems that it really has to do with the surgeon's ability to perform the procedure. And so as far as if we'll have immediate complications after the procedure. But I think we still have that question around what about long-term health outcomes that we can see? And those weren't really looked at in those particular studies as far as timing of neutering. We only have really one study that looked at when we neuter the pet, does it actually decrease the risk of a disease if we neuter at, say, 12 weeks of age versus six months of age versus two years of age? And that was the seminal study that came out actually back in the 60s, and it looked at mammary cancer in dogs. And mammary cancer, we call that breast cancer in humans. And so, and what we found that, in fact, there really was a protective effect in that study uh, where the earlier that they were before the first heat cycle, it had the greatest protective effects, upwards of 98% in developing a mammary cancer later. And then those protective effects diminished after the first heat cycle to about 66%, and then diminished again after the second heat cycle to about 33%, until no longer were there protective effects after that last heat cycle. And so that is one relationship that we have seen. And there have been other studies looking just at mammary cancer in dogs that also help support that. So that is one health outcome that we actually do see that we have a, uh, a fair amount of evidence that spaying has a protective effect against cancer in dogs and also cancer in felines too. And so in both of those cases. And then when I did my research, the other very interesting uh, finding that came out of looking at these studies is that in female dogs, spaying appears to have a protective effect for them meaning uh, for longevity, meaning that female dogs that are spayed tend to live longer than female dogs that are not spayed. And when we think about some of the reasons for why this could be, there's a couple of reasons that we can come up with. One is, if you are an intact female dog, if you are not spayed, then you're at greater risk for having a uterine infection, which is a life emergency for dogs that uh, puts their life at risk, ovarian cancer, 
uterine cancer, or even, as I mentioned before, dystocia or problem birth that can uh, increase mortality rates. And so that was one interesting finding where it appeared that looking at the studies as a whole, between 9 and 18 months were added on to a female dog's lifespan if they were spayed. How do we interpret the most publicized studied, the one from UC Davis about golden retrievers. I guess I'm a little bit torn on this because I think a responsible owner will keep their dog on a leash. I think they're not going to let them run free and potentially impregnate females, contributing to that pet overpopulation. So we want to do everything to minimize that risk of cancer. But how do we interpret it statistically or help educate our pet owners on the difficulty of research and crunching statistics? For example, the majority of pets that present to referral hospitals or specialty hospitals or academic settings are usually our most compliant owners who spay and neuter. So then are we seeing more disease in that population because they are a different subset of pet owners versus those that don't spay and neuter? Does that make sense? That absolutely makes sense. And I think you hit on a big thing with research, and it's that research is not perfect. It's messy, and we have to make trade-offs when we're doing the research to get the information that we can get. And so in the case, the example that you made, that a certain subset of the pet population actually comes to, to facilities where research occurs, well, we call that bias, meaning that, well, does that population actually look like the general population of pets that are out there? And in some cases, yes, it does. And in other cases, maybe it doesn't. And so then we have to determine how generalizable is this information. So if it in fact says that, yes, there is, yes, we found an association, say, between lymphoma and spaying or neutering earlier, and lymphoma, by the way, is a type of cancer, then, you know, can we actually generalize that out? Well, first thing, when I looked through these studies, I also looked at the quality of the studies. And when there was increased bias, like the study population likely was not generalizable to the overall pet population, that really weakens the findings from the study because then you can only say, well, we can't generalize outside this group. So for example, in the golden retriever study, technically we can't generalize outside of the golden retriever group. The other pieces that we look at there is how are we actually defining the different populations? So what is your control group versus your uh, study group? And then how are we defining the disease as well? And then how are we doing the statistics on that? And actually, UC Davis has used, they have a very big data set there, and they've published a lot of studies around this. And from the quality perspective, the quality is varied quite dramatically across them, depending on how they actually set up the study and how they actually identified connections between spaying and neutering and diseases. And so I'll give an example. There was one study where they were looking at what's called time risk. And that's just a fancy way of saying, how long did this pet go before they got the disease? And they defined that differently between the group that was being spayed or neutered and the group that remained intact. And the way they did that was, imagine you had two dogs from the same litter and both of those dogs lived to be five years of age, and they both got cancer at the same time. Well, what they said was, with one of these dogs, their time risk, because they were not neutered, is going to be the full five years that they were alive, because they were not neutered that entire time. And with that second dog, say they were neutered at one year of age, then their time at risk was four years. And not only was their time at risk four years, but then they took that additional one year 
and added it on to the other group. So it looks like the other group was at risk for six years and the other group was at four years, meaning that the pets that were intact had a longer time at risk before they developed disease than the pets that were spayed or neutered, which we know in this case is actually not true. And so there's a lot of analytical methods that we need people who have that background to be able to look at that and say, does this actually make sense the way this was done? And if it doesn't make sense, then how can we trust in these results? And so I think that becomes very confusing then when we put studies out there that are not well understood by the general population who does not have that background. And so we as a veterinary profession need to do a better job of really understanding what the research is telling us so we can better educate clients. We'll continue with this really important topic right after these messages from our sponsors. Okay, I'll admit it. As a veterinarian, I don't brush my dog's teeth as much as I'm supposed to, but my dog loves chewing on treats. So why not give him a dental treat that offers more? Daily Dose is a two-in-one dual-benefit dog chew that supports dental hygiene and full body health. With Daily Dose, your dog gets a daily dental scrub and powerful supplements to help with the biggest health concerns facing our dogs. Daily Dose was developed by veterinarians to be simple to use and super effective. Plus, dogs love the taste. It comes in four types, available for joint, skin, heart health, and calming. What I like about them? They have ingredients that I'd recommend as a veterinarian, and they're made in the USA. To help keep your dog healthier and happier, try Daily Dose, because one chew a day may keep the veterinarian away. Visit yourpetsdailydose.com to save $3 on your first bag with promo code ERVET. That's E-R-V-E-T. It's more than a treat. It's a treatment. One chew a day for happier, healthier dog ears. Poor Sam was a mess. Always itching, licking. His paws were soaking wet. He had bald spots on his back. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Two weeks after he started Dynavite, I started seeing great improvements. And today, 99% of his issues are non-existent. Dynavite is nutrition. Dynavite is the best thing you can do for your dog. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. I get my Dynavite from D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet Welcome back to ER Vet. We are so honored to be speaking with Dr. Kirk. Rune Inger. And what we've been talking about is the correlation between the timing of spaying and neuter and potential disease. So Kirk, I have one question regarding that. If you had a golden retriever, when would you spay or neuter based on some of the information that you're interpreting based off this UC Davis study and your experience? Sure. And I'll actually answer the question, not just based off of the UC Davis study, but I'll base it on 
on the full body of research that's out there because the UC Davis study is just one data point on health outcomes and we really need to look holistically across all the studies to understand what the evidence is of a relationship between spaying and neutering and these different diseases that we see. And so looking across the the whole spectrum of the information that we have available to us, the Best time, I would say, would still be um, earlier in life to prevent unwanted litters from occurring in population control, so before the first heat cycle in females and before the f- sexual maturity in males, which is typically around six months of age. As far as the health outcomes that are linked with this, I know there's a lot of discussion around orthopedic disease, so cranial cruciate ligament disease, hip dysplasia, arthritis. When we look across all the studies we have available to us, including the UC Davis study, what we find is that there's inconsistent results across those studies, and the quality of the research varies considerably across those studies as well. And when you look at it as a whole, ultimately it says we don't have enough information to make a causal relationship saying that we know for certain that spaying and neutering causes that disease process in in our dogs. I think the biggest takeaway is when in doubt, please talk to your veterinarian about this. There is controversy even in the veterinary space about when we should be doing it. And I honestly am in, do agree with Kirk. Some of the statistics on this are really hard to interpret. So we do have to be really careful saying if you spay and neuter too early, it's going to result in cancer. It really depends on the patient population that's presenting, that was included in the study. And so I always say, talk to a vet and ask, what would you do if it was your own dog? I think that's really important. Knowing that for cats, mammary gland tumor is so much more aggressive. I am still pretty aggressive about recommending that cats always be spayed and neutered early just because we know of massive pet overpopulation problems and really malignant mammary adenocarcinoma or breast cancer. So again, in cats, I'm still pretty aggressive about wanting to spay and neuter early Again, talk to your veterinarian about it. Please know that the data is still a bit controversial. I do say we can't always compare to other countries. They definitely have good success, but they have much stricter leash laws. They have better pet responsibility in a lot of ways. And I think it's a really important topic that we'll have to wait and find out if more information comes out on. Kirk, any last information or tips you want to leave with us? I absolutely agree with you. Personalized healthcare for your pet is paramount. And so holding that conversation with your veterinarian to determine what's best for given your pet's lifestyle, given their physical condition, any other diseases they may have is crucial to understanding what is the best decision to make for each individual pet. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Dr. Kirk, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate all your information and research and the cutting edge info that you're doing at Banfield. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. If you have any questions, feel free to email me at drjustine at petliferadio.com or find me at drjustinelee.com or on Facebook at Dr. Justine Lee. With that, we're out of time and we want to thank Kirk again and Mark Winter, our producer, for making this show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.